the end of another busy day. You just saw 20, 30 patients, maybe more. Instead of heading home for dinner with your spouse or playing with your kids, you now begin your night job, charting. Charting is critical for patient care, billing, and medical legal liability, but it steals our focus from our patients, eats away at our time with our families, and keeps us up at night. The burden of always having another chart to complete drains all of us. Freed listens, prepares your notes, and writes patient instructions for you. Charting is done before your patient walks out of the room. Wait, because it gets better. Freed learns your style over time. It's AI, just like a human scribe would, except it will never quit on you. Freed is loved by 3,000 plus clinicians from every specialty. It's HIPAA compliant, takes 30 seconds to learn, and costs only $99 a month. You can try Freed for free right now by going to freed.ai, F-R-E-E-D.ai. Listeners of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring can use the code PGD50 for $50 off the first month. Today's episode is a little different. We're talking about credit card points and miles. Now, prior to this episode, I didn't have a strategy. Apparently, I've been leaving a lot of money on the table. Well, no more. Check this out. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. On today's show, we're not going to have much of an introduction because actually our guest wants to remain somewhat anonymous, kind of in the vein of passive income MD and the white coat investor before they let people know their real names, they would publish, you know, their income and their savings and all that stuff. In that same vein of anonymity, our guest today wants to remain anonymous. However, a little bit about her. She's an academic subspecialty surgeon who's been using points and miles for eight years now and now posts about it on Instagram as points and miles doc. Now, the tagline of this show is everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. I'm not saying that we should be learning about points and miles in medical school or residency instead of, you know, memorizing those biochemical pathways. However, it's really useful to know this stuff, to be able to leverage this stuff. It's basically like free money that's out there if you're willing to put in a little time and effort to systematize it. So that's what we're going to learn today, how we can do that. Because especially those of us who are K-1 employees, or I'm not K-1, who are practice owners, who have K-1s, right? Like we can use those credit cards and accrue miles for business expenses on top of our personal expenses. So there's a lot here to leverage. And even those of us who are employed physicians, there's still... We're leaving money on the table. Points and miles, Doc, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for that. As I mentioned earlier before the show, just wanted to remain non-Googleable to patients, but happy to share with fellow physicians. And, you know, you mentioned medical school and what we should and shouldn't learn in medical school, but actually was inspired to start my Instagram and start teaching other physicians about points and miles was because of medical school. And we grew up in the world of still having to do in-person interviews for residency. Now those things are largely virtual, but I think a lot of travel, even away rotations, it starts in medical school. And I know for my fourth year, I had to take out an additional loan just to complete all my interviews in 14 different major cities around the country. And looking back, you know, I didn't really strategize. I just went for the cheapest thing and slept on a lot of floors and shared a lot of hotel rooms. We had no money, of course. Today, sharing those strategies, knowing how to work it, you could come out of something like that with status and points that could then lead to 
paying for vacations later on or paying for conferences later on. As physicians, even as trainees, we have a lot of expenses that we can really leverage to use for travel later on and prevent burnout. Let's get into it. So <laughs> I heard you on Devon Gimbel's podcast where she has she's a physician who now has a podcast about points and miles. And to hear you talking about it actually sounded like two gamers, right? Talking about like <laughs> this video game that they're really into and using terminology that I don't know what you're right. It got like really really complicated really quickly. It was kind of overwhelming for me. So for those of us who are just like dipping our toe in the water, right? What are some basic strategies or, or just like a way to conceptualize miles rather than just the basics? Like for me, I've been accruing miles with my Delta card and then we went to Disney last year. And so I paid for my family's flight with like the years and years of miles I've accumulated with no strategy whatsoever, just like using them for the best time for us. That's like as basic as it gets. So what's like a step into getting a little more methodical? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, you know, the great thing as the point of miles world has developed more is there's lots of information out there, but as there's more and more information out there, it can awfully be hard to get started or, or digest. But I think it breaks down into a couple of concepts that I want people to understand. The first one is called transferable currencies. And these are points that you earn with credit cards that could be transferred to multiple different loyalty programs. These are things like American Express gold or platinum cards or Chase Sapphire cards or things like Capital One cards. They have a program of partners or loyalty programs that they partner with, both airlines and hotels, that you can transfer those points into. So that makes the points very, very flexible to use, especially on a physician schedule where you might not have flexibility of time. Is that fungible? Am I using that term correctly? <laughs> right, to steal from like the NFT, it is then a fungible credit? I think I understand a lot less about NFTs no, I, and I what either. it means okay. there. But yeah, in our world, we call them transferable points or miles. And then there's also, in addition to transferable points cards or currencies, there are things called co-branded cards. And co-branded cards earn you points or miles in the system that the brand of the card is literally on the card. So things like a Delta card, you're going to earn Delta miles. A Hyatt card, you're going to earn Hyatt points. And those cards can be really, really beneficial for perks and different things that you get with the programs but they're a little less valuable to earn because they're not flexible. You can't transfer a Delta point to another airline and book something on that airline. And so when it comes to developing a strategy, most strategies are based around earning as many transferable points as possible through things like bonus categories, where American Express says, if you buy groceries and put all your dining on your gold card, you get four points per dollar for every dollar you spend. If you put your airfare on a Chase Sapphire Reserve, you get three points per dollar on your travel. So you, there's these big earning opportunities on these cards. Using our expenses, we can maximize that and leverage that. And when the time comes to book our vacation, use those transferable currencies where it's most convenient for us. Let's say you live in a hub of a specific airline, right? Like you're, you live in New York is a hub for Delta. Right. So we get tons of different places that we can get to if we fly on Delta. Does it then make sense to is it higher value? Like, do they give you tend to give you more 
return on investment because it's a specific, it's a non-transferable card or in general, like just stick with the transferable one because there really isn't much of a benefit. Like, how do you decide which one to do? That would make sense if the airlines gave you much more of a bonus for carrying their co-branded card. But actually, the opposite is true. It's usually the transferable points currencies cards that give you more bang for your buck when you're spending on those cards. Oh, guess who's getting rid of his Amex Delta card? Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, I, I think by the end of this chat, we'll be talking about that. But one thing to know is that airlines are banks selling points and miles who run planes on the side. Like they make a large amount of their money from selling their points and miles to credit card companies who then give them to consumers in return for spend. And I think there was a stat that came out recently with all the Delta loyalty program changes that said 1% of GDP comes from spending on Amex Delta cards. It's an incredible amount of money that the airlines make through credit cards. But as a consumer... We need to think of a way to do that as physicians. Like running the airline is kind of like the side gig and points and miles is the main gig. What can we do so that the physicianing is the side gig and then we've got something else, some other way that we've leveraged what we do? I guess that's there are stark laws against that. So maybe we can't, but we, got, we can think we're smart people. We can think of something. I think probably a lot of your listeners do the same where they have a side thing that they really enjoy and then it becomes their main thing or it actually becomes what they leverage the most to do what they enjoy. So for that reason, as consumers, we actually have a lot of power. And if you just have a little bit of knowledge in, in knowing like how you want to spend on cards, that can be really powerful because you can have opportunities with multiple different airlines. Even if you're in a hub, there are still opportunities to spend with airlines that can, for example, you can fly on Delta with Flying Blue Miles, which are through Air France and KLM. We'll get a little bit more into this, but they're called alliances. So there's airline alliances, which is groups of airlines that have come together to create partnerships. And that basically makes it easy for you to book one ticket on Delta. But if you connected in Amsterdam, you could fly on KLM somewhere else. These alliances have existed for decades. You can use the same thing in the points world to book a flight through an airline in the Alliance, you'll fly on the plane that you want. You'll fly on a Delta plane, but it might be a lot fewer points to book it through an airline like Air France, even if it's the same flight. That's where those transferable per currencies just get you more, even if you're in a hub and you're loyal to one airline. Are there ways that we can automate? And it sounds like you've kind of like led us in this direction, right? Because you're saying there are certain cards that give you high yield points for certain things. So if you have a tendency to spend, like in my house, there's a lot of Amazon, as much as we detest the monopoly, we're totally buying into <laughs> it, and Instacart. We do a lot of grocery shopping on Instacart. If we automated certain cards to those that, and we know that we get high, lo lots of points per dollar, doing that, that's a good way to kind of automate it. Are there other ways that we can automate or other ways that you like do it yourself? I absolutely think automation is key, especially for physicians where we're busy. And if you have 20 different cards in the moment, you might not be grabbing the, the right one. How many cards? 21 you cards 20 for me. One we can get to that. Cards. Yeah. 21 cards. Okay. Just to give some perspective on how the game can be, how the game can be played. Absolutely. And just to put it in context, because people ask about credit scores and credit and things like that. And the credit score 
It might not be what you think. A lot of your credit score is actually made up of what's called credit utilization. So how much credit do you have and then how much you are actually spending on? It's almost paradoxical because when you open a card, your credit score will go down for a short amount of time due to either a hard or soft pull, which is a credit check. But that actually accounts for a very, very low percentage of what makes up your credit score. And then after a few weeks to months, your credit score actually increases significantly because the utilization goes down, assuming you've been given a new card with a large credit limit, and then you're just using a very small part of that. So just in general, the there's a lot of misconceptions about credit scores. If you pay your cards off on time, you open with a strategy in mind, your credit score is only going to go up over time. And mine's been over 800 for many years. I've been doing this now. To your point, like if you're going to be leasing a car, if you're going to be buying a house, like, you know, don't take out a card right now. But but like if you have cards, then you might want to request that your limit go up because then your utilization, your relative utilization then goes down. And so that will affect your credit score. Exactly. So in the long game, your credit score actually goes up with more cards. I was thinking like a golf score. Yeah. Your credit score goes up. Yes, with your with the lower utilization, yeah. Okay, so you were asking about automation. <laughs> I had to remind myself of the original question. Yeah, so I think automation is key. And picking cards that optimize the categories you spend in the most. So what are the most for most families? So groceries and dining. And then for some physicians, especially academic ones who may have to travel a lot for conferences, some kind of travel card where you're earning three times on all your travel, as physicians, of course, having big expenses when it comes to CME, licensing boards, and you know, constantly spending on stuff like that. Having a card that earns a multiplier on what we call everyday spend, which is spend that doesn't have a bonus category. So I'm going to put my license on a card that earns two points per dollar on all of my spend, something like a Amex Blue Business Plus or a Capital One Venture X. These things earn two points per dollar, so I'm still earning a significant amount on these things that don't fit into any bonus category. And automating these by using apps and putting the card as the payment in your app so that you have it ready to go. So like in my airline apps, I have my Chase Sapphire Reserve ready because I earn three points per dollar on flights. Or in my Instacart, having my Amex Gold ready there because I earned four times points per dollar on groceries. And Amex counts Instacart as a grocer. So you can absolutely automate things. I think that is what I prefer as a physician. I automate all my giving as well onto a credit card that earns two points per dollar. That way, all my giving and philanthropy is in one place. It's on one card. It's easy to look at at the end of the year. And then I've earned two times points on all that spend for the year. Is there a good resource if we're deciding which card to get based on what we tend to spend a lot of money on? Is this like Googleable, like, or is there like there are bloggers about this? Is there somewhere you can point us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the credit card companies want you to know because they want to entice you to open their card. So that information is readily Googleable. You can Google even things like the category you spend in most, like bonus category groceries, bonus category staples, office supply stores. 
and it will come up on my website, which we can share. It's just an offshoot of my Instagram so people can get more information. But there is a list of credit cards with some of the perks that they offer. So you can go down some of the main credit cards that are offered with transferable currencies and take a look. Do you want to plug that website? Sure. Pointsandmilesdoc.com. Fantastic. (laughs) Same as my Instagram. What are some points mistakes that you see beginners make? When we're talking about travel rewards, you also want to compare it to cashback credit cards. There are some really good cashback credit cards that'll earn you 2% back on every dollar you spend. And if you don't want to use your credit card spending for travel, that's totally okay. At least get something out of it. So something like a city double cash, 2% back after every payment on your statements. Do something like that. And so if we compare travel reward cards to cashback cards, we want to do something that will also get us a return probably over 2% because you can easily get that with a cashback card. So sometimes the cards will try and entice you, oh, redeem these points for magazines. Even, you know, the co-branded airline cards that say, redeem these points for magazines, redeem these points for gift cards. And while that may feel fine in the moment, you're often only getting 1% return or sometimes even less than 1% return. And it's okay if you really want a magazine, but I hope that if you have travel reward cards, you're really wanting to use it for travel instead, where you'll get a much higher return on your spend. So travel is generally the way to use the points. Like either you decide that your strategy is going to be cash back if you don't do a lot of travel or like it's binary. It's one or the other. Yeah, I really feel that way. If you're spending your points on travel, most likely you're going to be getting a high return. Something that I heard you talk about that like was one of these terms that just made me realize how knowledgeable. Wow, not a word. (laughs) I am of this was Chase's 524 rule. And you guys spoke about it, right? Like, just like you both knew about it. Yeah, that's part of the conversation. So what's Chase's 524 rule? Yeah, great question. And yes, there are all these terms that that we use that can seem foreign to somebody first starting out. And I'll just put in another plug for my site because I did create a free guide with all of these different terms you can download from the same website. Point to Miles. We did that in medical free. school. We had to learn all these terms and now we're going to become a points person. Yes. <laughs> more terminology. Acronyms. Are there acronyms in there too? There are acronyms, yes, in there too. Luckily, <laughs> it's, you know, less than Siggy caps, things like that. But <laughs> so 524 is a concept where Chase, a specific bank that has transferable points currencies, does not allow you to open their cards if you've opened five cards or more in 24 months. And that means any cards. So if I applied for a Chase card and I had already opened five American Express cards, Chase would say no. Got it. And this is just a common, this has just been passed around in the points and miles field for a long time. The way I want people to use it is that when they're starting out with a credit card strategy, what that means to me is as you're opening, open your Chase cards first because... You don't want to be blocked out from getting those cards and then go forward and open other cards that are going to benefit you. Some people look at 524 like a commandment. I can never be over 524. I don't really agree with that. I think you should open the cards that benefit you the most. But if you're interested in Chase cards or they're going to benefit you, you should do it in a way where well, where you will be able to and you won't be blocked out of those cards. So you've got to figure out, sit down, 
What's the most, what, what do you spend the most money on? Where are the points that give you the most transferable points for that type of spending? And is one of those a chase card? And if so, take out the, open the chase card first before you open the others. Now it is a 524 rule. So, you know, it, it still seems like many cards. And is that per couple or that's per individual, right? Because like my wife and I are each going to need cards. So that is that every time we open a new card, is that two cards or is that one? That's per individual. Per individual. Okay. But they do count authorized users. So say you opened a card for yourself and then automatically made your wife an authorized user. Well, that would take one of her 524 spots. So as you're going through a strategy, you might think, oh, we're not going to add ourselves as authorized users right now so that we get the full welcome offers or bonuses as we go through and open these cards. Does your significant other have like the same, have also 21 cards? Or like, you know, a subset of your 21 or completely different. Car- like what, what is the strategy in your house? That's actually our, our combined and almost all of the cards are my cards. We have separate strategies because I'm very comfortable having a lot of cards and managing the transferable currencies. She prefers only a few cards so she can really focus her spend in one place. And that's fine too. She actually travels a lot for work. She works in footwear development and manufacturing. So I learned a lot of this stuff from looking up, Googling about her travel, learning about status and and that. She travels to Asia frequently with One World and she's American airline elite. So for her, she actually puts her spend on the American Airlines co-branded card because American started a new program last year called Loyalty Points, where your spend actually counts towards your status. Those dollars, not only does she get loyalty points we can use for flights, but it also counts toward maintaining her status for future years. So if she's, that sounds just like potential for a billion points, right? Because this is business (laughs) travel. She has a lot of points. But that's how we've split the strategy is that I have all the optimized bonus categories. And since we've automated so much, I mean, a lot of our household spend is already going into those categories, but her separate spend is going towards her status. And so that helps the both of us. Let me know if you're comfortable answering this question, because you might not be. Do you pay your taxes with a credit card? Oh, absolutely. And I'm very comfortable answering this question. I am a W-2 employee. So... A lot of my taxes are already withheld. But actually, after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the the change, the withholding got a lot less. We're getting pretty big income tax bills at the end of the year. So I really see taxes as an opportunity for opening new cards. And for us, there's three times a year where that happens. In Los Angeles, we pay property tax twice a year. And so I always put those on the credit card. And then, of course, the federal tax once a year as a W-2 employee at the end of the year or after the tax season. When you have large amounts of spend, a lot of times the best way to utilize those is through opening cards and getting what are called welcome offers or sign-up bonuses. And that's where the credit card company will say, hey, we'll give you 100,000 Chase Ultimate Rewards if you open this card and you spend $8,000 within three months. So, okay, great. I can open a card. I can make that in one property tax payment. 
and get the 100,000 points. And yes, there is a fee to use your credit card for these payments, right? It's for federal tax, it's 1.86, 1.87%. And then for our property tax, it's around 2.02%. Since I'm getting such a big return on that spend, I'm getting 100,000 points plus the property tax for maybe a couple hundred dollars. For me, I know that's going to completely outweigh the the fee. Wait, so every year you open a new card to pay your taxes? Typically, yes. Don't your doesn't your credit score go down when you're closing cards? Yes, sometimes. So the way that closing cards can make your credit score go down is by one, you lose that credit limit. So your credit utilization goes up. And then two, you lose some credit history. You lose the age, you lose your payment history. So if you have an old credit card with a high credit limit on it, closing it can be a really challenging thing for your credit score. For a card that has no annual fee or maybe a low annual fee, something like less than $100 a year, you really have to weigh if you're going to close that card after a certain period of time. If there are no annual fee cards, it may be worthwhile just to keep it open indefinitely. So I don't necessarily, every year we go through and make decisions about cards that I want to open or close. Usually when I'm looking at closing, it's for the really high annual fee cards. Maybe I opened a card to get a sign-up bonus and it had some really great benefits on it for the first year. But after the first year, I'm not going to see that return on investment and I'll close that card after a year. Since it has such a short credit history, it's not going to affect my score too much. But I don't want the annual fees to really outweigh the return on the investment that I'm getting. Yes, 21 cards with annual fees. That's going to add up. Totally. Okay, so now for some personal questions. Now we're going to pivot to my, you know, the consult personal consulting phase. My, my wife is Swiss, so we travel a lot. We go to Switzerland twice a year, every winter and every summer. We go to see her family. And now there are five of us, right? So five. I flights to Switzerland twice a year. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay, now we're going to get a little into the weeds because my wife, there's a lot of Swiss pride. She flies on, we fly on Swiss, the airline, even though Delta flies to Zurich, which is where we're flying to. And we have miles on Delta, but we just, she's got this really affinity and it's really nice. They do a really good job. (laughs) I don't think I could do it any worse in terms of strategizing (laughs) points because we're not doing that at all. But what would be ways to, strategize. Like, I think they're part of like the One World Alliance, maybe. They're definitely part of Lufthansa. You know, so what would be a way to strategize? One, if we are paying for travel with a credit card, right? Make sure we're maximizing, which is kind of what you answered earlier, but like using miles. Like, how do I do this better? Yeah, the family thing is tough. But here's what you want to do to really optimize it if you have a specific route, maybe a specific airline in mind. Swiss is part of Star Alliance. So Star Alliance, the domestic carrier for us is United. They're also partners with Lufthansa. They're partners with TAP Portugal, Avianca, right? So they have partners all around the world. You don't necessarily have to earn Swiss points to be able to redeem those for flights on Swiss airlines. You can earn miles that are would go to any Star Alliance carrier and then be able to redeem those. So for example, the Chase cards, some of them 
when you earn Chase rewards, you can transfer them to United, for example, which is Star Alliance. You could transfer them to Avianca, which is Star Alliance. And you can look for when they have availability on Swiss. And this could really save you a lot of miles because every program has different has a different level that they require to fly on their plane. So like United might charge you 100,000 points for that flight, but Avianca might only charge you 60,000 points for that flight. And that can really save you a lot of points. So here's an example. I just booked a flight on TAP Portugal. I'm going to go to Portugal with some friends from med school next summer. The best way to book that was through Avianca. So they're a, I think they're Colombian-based airline. And I found availability on TAP for 63,000 Avianca life miles, which I transferred over from Chase. Wait, you lost me there. You lost me there. So you're not (laughs) flying on Avianca. You're flying on TAP. Correct. To get to Portugal. But then how does it, so you, uh, yeah, you lost me. Sorry. Yeah. So I earned the points through spending on my Chase cards. I transferred those points to Avianca, this Colombian airline. They're a partner with TAP Portugal. So when I looked for awards through Avianca, I could see, oh, they have got United flights. They've got TAP flights. They've had Swiss flights actually on there. One of the options was to connect through Zurich. And so I was was then able to purchase that flight that I wanted through that program who was offering it for the lowest amount of points. So you go to like avianca.com and like that's where you book the flight? That's right. It would be like if you had to connect domestically and you bought the ticket with Swiss, they might have one leg that was United. Or if you bought a United flight and maybe had to connect in Europe, it would have a leg on Swiss. So it's the same kind of thing, except you're using points to book those flights. That's where we can really leverage partners. So are you intentionally taking connecting flights in order to... So does it prevent you from flying direct sometimes? No, I'm actually flying direct. I'm flying direct actually from San Francisco all the way to Lisbon. And it's a completely tap Portugal flight. It's just something that is a code share in the alliance. And I'm able to book it with anybody else in the alliance. Interesting. Interesting. I know it was really complex and that's an example, but that's just one example of how you can minimize your mileage usage while actually getting great deals. It's not necessarily directly with the airline or with their credit card. So that might help me with the next question, because we have a wedding coming up from this same Swiss family. They're getting wet, They're getting married in Cape Town, South Africa. So we are going to be flying family of five to Cape Ooh. Town. Yes. And there is a direct flight from Newark. Now, we live on Long Island, so we're going to have to drive to New Jersey, which is fine, because then we get on our plane and it is direct to Cape Town, which is amazing that we can actually do that. Now, looking at the cost of the flights, right, they're actually not unreasonable, but certainly a six-hour, 16-hour flight would be nice to be able to upgrade a little bit. And it's on like a, I think it's called a Dreamliner. So it's like this humongous airplane and it's got all sorts of different comfort levels, right? Like it's not just like, business or economy, there's all this ones, all these ones in between. I definitely want to find a way to upgrade us. And it sounds like that's one strategy to try to use my chase miles, because I do have chase miles and it is United because my other miles are Delta. So that's not going to do us any good. So to use our chase miles and maybe even open up a new credit card to just get some more miles under my belt, you know, whichever one we're then going to be using for our groceries and whatever, 
because I'm not going to, you know, the 21 card strategy is definitely not for me. And then to try to find a partner airline that's part of this alliance where I can utilize the points most efficiently in order to get my most bang for the buck. Am I understanding this? Yeah, there's absolutely a few ways to do it. Yeah, I mean, and the direct flights, right? They're so appealing because once you get on, you're just like done. And with a lot of people running around, it's more contained. There's a couple ways to do it. I mean, there's, you know, you buy, you purchase a, a cash economy ticket and then you use miles to upgrade. That's always an option. A lot of times those upgrades won't be confirmed at the time you buy the ticket meaning, yeah, that they won't give it to you then, that they'll wait and see what kind of availability they have available. And then within, you know, the hours and days leading up to the flight, they will upgrade you. That's how upgrades work. (laughs) We might be divided. So then someone in business is going to be sitting next to my four-year-old, like, and then I'm going to be in economy. (laughs) I'm sure that's how it would work out, right? They would (laughs) upgrade the four-year-old. They're is the option if you can find availability, business class availability, you can use points for that. You can It can offset some costs. Say you buy two or three of the tickets with points and then you're only buying two cash tickets. That's another way to do it for families. And then something in between like premium economy can also be really nice on a long flight. Most premium economies are two for two. So if you, well, as a family of five, but a family of four could take up the entire middle, you know, and also a family of five, the middle and, a, and an aisle. And those are like domestic business class seats. So for kids, they're typically really comfortable. Those are a couple options. Sometimes too, there's another member of Star Alliance that also flies to South Africa and that's South, South African Airlines. And they can, you can also find availability with United Miles or other miles within the Star Alliance, often on South African Airlines. And they also, I believe, have one direct flight from the New York area. So I'm not exactly sure which one it is, but worth looking at. Yeah, definitely. So we've talked a little about these long haul flights, right, with my personal consultation, which I appreciate. But what about, as you said, like, during residency interview time or going locally to conferences? Is there anything different about the strategy? I mean, I, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like we've really kind of gotten a handle of it. But is there anything else to the strategy maybe for shorter haul flights? Well, yeah, I think booking short haul flights, especially in economy, is actually quite easy and can be really economical. The long haul flights in business, of course, are the dream and that's what everybody wants to optimize and get. But you can save a lot of money just on short haul economy flights. One of my favorite, for example, is flying from LA to Vancouver on American. It's a super small plane. It's often a pretty expensive ticket, but with miles, it's usually something like less than 10,000 miles per person. So there are some really good examples, yeah, to, to finding some of these short haul flights to like tourist destinations that can save you a lot of money. All right. Any parting words? I think we've got, I've, I know I am. <laughs> the wheels are turning. You know, I'm going to be going to your website and checking out which cards and then, you know, trying to find ways to, to upgrade us at least a little bit for that flight. But any, any other, any parting words for our physician listeners? Yeah, I think we've covered it. I just think, you know, leverage our expenses. We don't have to do anything crazy and you don't have to open a ton of cards to really earn on your expenses as high earners and high spenders. We just naturally have a lot of churning going on that we should be earning points with. 
And the more points we earn, the more flexibility we have in booking vacations. So um, happy to answer any questions for people on Instagram. I love getting DMs from other docs and helping to plan or help a strategy. So um, just really happy to be here. And thanks for chatting with me. This was really fun and tested my knowledge, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And again, we can find you at pointsandmilesdoc.com or Instagram at pointsandmilesdoc. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice, or financial advice, or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.